VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And I thought I would bring you something today that would help dispel all the gloom and doom that um, you hear from every other radio station and television set and and, um, newspaper. I mean, that's all the world seems full of these days, whether it's terrorism, the economy, uh, some some crazy climate change somewhere, so, and and yet we're the holidays are coming up, and we don't want to think about this, especially during the holidays. Um, we want to be all inspired and and spiritual, and you know, regardless of what religion you are, um, and it's really kind of hard with all of this gloom and doom. So, part of my Christmas present to you is <laughs> bringing an, a, a show that will really. Um, get you out of that, and make you feel incredibly inspired. And that's what today's show is, from school shooting survivor, headline, to inspiration. My guest is Missy Jenkins. She's the author of a new book called I Choose to be Happy, A School Shooting Survivor's Triumph, and uh, Triumph Over Tragedy. And uh, (laughs) lest you start to think, oh, no, a school shooting, that's gloom and doom. Well, her story really isn't. It's an amazing story. I read the book yesterday. I could, literally could not put it down. It was uh, after midnight, and I kept kept reading um, because it's just you just kind of wonder about someone who is made like this. So, Missy, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I mean, um, it was your courage and your um, ability to forgive. And all of the different qualities uh, that are obvious in your book as you tell this story of what it was like to be the victim of a Paducah, of, of the shooting in Paducah, Kentucky, which was approximately 11 years ago. It was 11 years ago this month, approximately, mm-hmm. because it was, it was December 1st, 1997. Right. And, um, it's interesting, actually, that it took you 11 years, what, to be able to face it and write it all down? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's just something that I'd always thought about doing, but just I guess I just never got around to it until finally I uh, met uh, William Croyle, who was willing to help me uh, put this book together. Yes, uh, some of the I was one thing that really impressed me was um, how honest you were about everything, talking about some of the most intimate things, um, and yet with the same kind of um, oh, sort of freshness and honesty that you talked about everything. So why don't we get started? If you, it, what I'd like you to do is sort of take us through your story, which is essentially taking us through the book. Mm-hmm. And um, I, oh, I want to to say at the beginning, um, I actually. I don't remember if I mentioned this in my email to you when I invited you to be on the show. I don't think I did. I actually was involved in this case. Um, as a, I, one of the things, one of the hats that I wear is as a psychiatric expert witness, 
and I have a special expertise in media violence. Uh, I've been a long-time media violence activist, activist against media violence, and so I was called in to be an expert witness um, by the attorneys of the families of the three girls who died, and possibly, I don't remember now, but there were possibly some of the other families, too, of the people who were injured. Mm-hmm. And um, this was attorneys Jack Thompson and Mike Breen. I don't know if you're familiar with their names, but um, I was called in to testify about um, the impact of the media on Michael Carneal, the, oh, wow. the 14-year-old who did the shooting, and um, particularly about the basketball diaries and, and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, how that impacted him. So I, I don't want to get ahead of the story, mm-hmm. but I just wanted you to know that from the uh, beginning. Yeah, I, I had no clue. Yeah, you didn't share that with me. That's, that's, that's neat. <laughs> yes, and, and um, so I was particularly, you know, that was very interesting to me as well when you talked about, um, you know, his admitting that and the confessing to that and all and, and so mm-hmm. on. Uh, ultimately, as you may know, um, I actually was precluded from testifying because the judge threw out the cases against the media as their in, in terms of their influence mm-hmm. um, on him. Because unfortunately, um, the the public still needs to be a lot more educated about how the media does. Uh, impact people to by how violent media influences people, especially who are people, especially people who are vulnerable to begin with, right. um, to to commit copycat crimes. But let's. I, I just wanted you to know that, but I don't want to get ahead of the story. So why don't you why don't you start at the beginning? Well, um, like you said, it, you know, it was December the first, nineteen ninety seven. I had attended the prayer circle every day my sophomore year. And so going to prayer circle that morning was, you know, to me there was nothing different about that day. Uh, You know, it was just a regular day. Um, We had gotten to the uh, group. We said amen. And as soon as I walked into the middle of the lobby um, is when he pulled the gun out and started shooting at us. Well, okay, but now this was at Heath High School. That's right, right, yes. And you were a sophomore. That's right. Mm -hmm. I was 15. I was just about to turn 16, uh, December 24th, which is my birthday. And and also an interesting part of your story is... um, you're a twin, and an, an identical twin, and um, uh, one of the things that you mentioned, and this is so, you know, it's so relevant. Um, I mean, so many we could all relate to this as far as um, maybe not having been the victim of a school shooting, but having had something bad happened to us, and the first thing that we do is, uh, besides wanting to rewind the tape, you know, is to think, well, if I only had done this differently, or this this small, if I had left home five minutes later, if I had, and, and your part of your story is that you had weren't feeling well, and before you joined the prayer circle that day, you wanted to um, go to the bathroom. Right. Could you tell about that? Yeah, um, I'd gotten to school, and I guess, you know, I just started not feeling well, and obviously, you know, girls always go to the bathroom in packs, and so I asked my best friend to come with me, and um, she told me, you know, well, let's just wait till after prayer circle, and then we can go, and so I agreed, and, um, you know, it's just kind of weird how, like, the decisions you make, you know, any small decision, whether to go to the bathroom or what, can, um, you know, change your life. (laughs) Yes. 
And, okay, so go ahead. There you were in the lobby. Mm -hmm. And um, after um, he began to shoot, the very first thing I saw was a girl get shot in the head. And I stared at her, and I just kept looking at her and and thinking, this is a joke, this isn't real. Um, I never saw him with a gun, so I, I didn't know what was going on at the time. And I could hear the gunshots around me, but I had never heard a gun in real life. My family doesn't own guns. We, you know, we just don't, you know, there's only one person in my whole family that hunts. And obviously, you know, I've never even, you know, been on a hunting trip in my life. The only gun I'd ever really heard was a gun on TV, and that really did not sound like a real gun. To me, it sounded like firecrackers, so that's what I thought. Someone had lit firecrackers. And so I kept looking around trying to find the firecrackers, and then, the middle of him shooting the spray of bullets, um, I was shot. Um, I didn't even feel the bullet um, hit me, so I had no clue where I'd been shot. I was also wearing a black shirt, so did not see any blood. And, and I fell down to the ground, and my twin sister, who was there with me that morning, crawled over and hovered over me while he was still shooting. And whenever he stopped shooting, um, my, which my sister knew what was happening, she saw the gun, she, she saw everything that was happening, and I had to ask her, she was in shock, and I had to ask her at least four or five times what was happening, and she finally told me that there was a gun, and that and then she told me who it was, and that's when I knew I'd been shot, and I couldn't believe that he had done something like that. Um, after that, um, the very first thing I noticed is that I couldn't feel my stomach. Um, I'm actually paralyzed from the chest down, but I don't know why at the time I didn't notice my legs just yet, just that I couldn't feel my stomach, and it scared both of us, me and my twin sister, and um, But I, at that moment, I was still feeling okay. I didn't feel sick or anything. Um, we both noticed our, our best friend that we shared was walking around with her hand on her shoulder crying. And so my twin sister went and checked on her, and they both came back and talked to me for, for a little while. And then my twin sister ended up leaving the area um, and went where all the other kids were um, going, which they were taking all the students and putting them in the high school gym. And so my sister made her way in that direction and also to call my parents because there was a payphone in the gym um, lobby area that um, you never really have to put a quarter in. It just actually works by just picking the phone up. And so she was making her way to call my parents. And before she left me, though, she told me to be strong, don't die. And um, I pretty much assured her that I felt like everything was going to be okay, that I was going to be fine. Um, a teacher came over to me and knelt down beside me and began to pray, and it was my algebra teacher. And at that point, that's when I started kind of wondering if I was going to live or if I was going to die. And I asked her if I was going to live or die, and she told me that I was going to live and that I was going to be fine. And then I told her, I know I'm paralyzed. I, I can't move anything. I can't move my legs. I can't feel my stomach. And she told me, no, you're not paralyzed. You're just, you're just in shock. But in the book, I shared that um, we'd interviewed her, and she said that she didn't know I was paralyzed. She just didn't know how to tell me hmm. at 15, a girl at 15, that, you know, this, you, you could be possibly paralyzed for the rest of your life. But um, at that point, I started to kind of get tired, and I think it was because of loss of blood, and I remember her telling me to keep my eyes open. And after that, I, I, I thought that I had passed out for a while, and I woke back up and noticed a girl beside me, that um, that wasn't that I had no, hadn't noticed before, and um, she was actually shot the exact same place I was, except she was bleeding internally. And I basically sat and watched 
her, um, my chemistry teacher was holding her, I remember, and my algebra teacher was sitting next uh, to her. And I remember her rolling all over the ground and moaning and my, and my algebra teacher saying over and over again, she's not going to make it, she's not going to make it. Mm. And I basically watched that until the ambulances came to pick us up. Hmm. And what were you, so, so at that point you knew that it was Michael Carneal. I did. And what were you thinking? I mean, was, um, it, I was, was thinking, anything making sense? No, not at all, because Michael was actually the last person that I would have ever thought that would have done something like that. Um, he was always somebody that you would label as, like, the class clown. He was always funny. He liked to joke around. Um, you know, some people liked his humor, some people didn't. But he would have, I would have never once would have thought that he would have brought a gun to school and would have done something like this. Um, you know, I've never even known of him getting into a fight with anybody. I never thought of him as a violent person. But as it turns out, um, um, I think he was hiding a lot of things. That, uh, yeah. Um, from what I had heard and from just also just, you know, new things that I've learned from him, you know, that there were some things going on, like, you know, issues with bullying, things like that, that he was having to deal with. Yes. And... Um, uh, so, the, well, I guess, um, after, so after that happened, I don't really mean to, why don't you continue with your story? Because we'll talk about Michael later. Why, mm-hmm. why don't you continue with your story? Sure. Um, after, um, the ambulances came to, to get us, um, I was in the ambulance with someone they were giving CPR to, and, um, I didn't know at the time who the person was, but later on did find out that it was one of my friends, um, her name was uh, Casey Steger. Um, he shot her in the back of the head, and it came out of her nose. And she did later on pass away. Um, when they brought me to the hospital, I um, was in there in the emergency room, and that's when they started kind of giving, running tests, different stuff, just to um, let me know, you know, just to kind of figure out where I was paralyzed and things like that. And if this was something that was going to be permanent, and I remember when they told me that I was paralyzed. And I remember pretty much, you know, pretty much before I, kn- I knew that I was paralyzed already. And it was almost like I was already prepared uh-huh. and knew that that was what what was going on. And I even remember trying to make myself cry just because I thought, you know, I'm going to look crazy if, I, if I'm not upset because this, mood, this news should be devastating to somebody. But it was almost like, I guess, kind of like, you know, God was telling me you're going to be okay, you're going to be fine, and, and that I was already prepared that this was going to happen to me. And, and um, why don't we, we do need to, to take a break here. Um, and obviously, you're not only fine, but you are doing some amazing things that we will also talk about. Um, you know, you've come, walked a long road in these um, mm-hmm. 11 years being paralyzed, <laughs> regardless of being paralyzed, or perhaps uh, particularly because of being paralyzed. It's been a long and um, very amazing and inspirational road, and we'll talk more about that when we come back. My guest is Missy Jenkins. She's the author of I Choose to Be Happy, A School Shooting Survivor's Triumph Over Tragedy. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. 
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Had an accident? The people you may encounter may be attorneys, doctors, and insurance agents. How do you protect yourself and your family? Tune into Meeting by Accident with attorney Tom Woodruff, an experienced trial attorney and former legislator. Attorney Woodruff and his expert guests assist and inform on what to do in a crisis, what steps to take, what to avoid, and most important, what you need to know to get through the process. Meeting by Accident broadcasts every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Because being informed makes all the difference. Tune into Meeting by Accident with attorney Tom Woodruff. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking today to Missy Jenkins. She's a school shooting survivor, and she's gone from headline to inspiration. And interestingly, um, in talking about uh, the event that changed her life and brought school shootings onto the national scene, um, you, you, you mentioned in the book that it was really only the second big or well-publicized um, school shooting. Mm-hmm. Yep. Before that was the, was the shooting at Pearl, Mississippi. That's right, yes. And that was two months before. Mm-hmm. Um, and and 400 miles away. 
Right. Um, and, of course, then since then, there's been Columbine, there's been Virginia Tech, and there's been scores of others that um, have made it to the media but, you know, haven't been quite as, um, uh, what, headline-grabbing as, as uh, the, the larger ones, the places, um, Columbine and then Virginia Tech, where the, the body count keeps getting bigger. Right. Um, in your, in, in the school shooting at Paducah, um, before, Tell us about, you know, what the, what the ultimate toll was. Well, there were uh, three girls that were killed and five people were injured. And, um, and of the people who were injured, yours was the most serious injury. Yes, yes. I'm, uh, uh, the bullet entered my left shoulder and it hit my lung and spinal cord and came out the right side of my back. And I'm paralyzed from my chest down. And before the break, we were starting to talk about um, finding that out and realizing, um, telling yourself that you should be showing people that you're more upset about it. Why do you think, um, I mean, of course, some of it that day did have to be shock, denial, and so on, but why do you think uh, that you've been able to um, adjust to that? You know, I, I just, I think that, God never gives you anything that you can't handle, and I almost felt like that's what um, kind of play went into play that day. Um, you know, I it was so weird when they explained to me that you know I was possibly paralyzed for the rest of my life, and you know they weren't sure, but I just felt like I'd already knew that this was going to happen. You know, it was just like I was prepared for it, and I can't explain. Um, why I felt that way, but, you know, the only thing I can think of is that, you know, God prepared me and that I, and that I would knew I was going to be okay, you know, especially at one point I was, I was worried that I was going to, you know, that I was going to die, but then after a while I, you know, was pretty, pretty sure that everything was going to be okay and that I was going to survive through this and make it through it. And make it through it in order to be able to be an inspiration for others. I guess that's what I, you know, afterwards I started realizing that that's what I could turn it into. Well, okay, so let's, um, there you there you were in the emergency room mm-hmm. finding this out, and then tell us what happened. Um, after that, they um, actually uh, did some x-rays because the, the gun that was used was a twenty two, and twenty twos bounce around in your body. So the very um, th- the first thing that we were thinking was that, or they were thinking, is that I was shot twice. Just given the entrance, the exit room was in two different areas. They did find the bullet in my shirt, which was in between my back and my shirt, and they uh, then realized that um, I uh, was only shot once because it bounced around in my body. But um, after after that, that's when they put me um, into the ICU, the intensive care unit, unit and. Um, Pretty much after that, it's kind of a little fuzzy just because, um, you know, I was um, under a lot of pain medication due to, um, you know, the bullet hitting my lung. I had a chest tube. I had all different, you know, blood being given to me. I had to have two pints of blood, um, just all those different things. I remember some things while I was in ICU, but but, but very little. Um, you know, I remember um, having to lay flat because of not knowing if my spinal cord was severed or not. So I remember having to watch TV with these funny glasses that would help me see the television. I remember doing that. Um, and I remember speaking to um, some of my family members. Um, I remember seeing my grandmother cry whenever she came into the room, um, just different things like that. 
And then you went through um, long periods of rehab um, in that hospital, and and um, and then you were transferred to another more a hospital where you stayed for a longer time, a, right. a specifically rehabilitation hospital. Right. Um, and and um, well, let's. Uh, why don't we talk a little bit about Michael Carneal, though? Um, because I think you know. It is so important to try to understand what makes people do these things, what makes um, kids come into school and take guns to school, and uh, whether it's high school, like in your case, or college, like in Virginia Tech, um, or now, you know, there have even been some um, some middle school and grade school um, violent incidents. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, what it's hard to comprehend what makes people do that. And so tell us about Michael Carneal and, and what you think, what you've come to think over the years and um, about what what was going through his mind. I think that he was having a lot of issues with bullying. I think that did play a part into it. Um, there was many um, instances, it, like him, he shared some instances where um, he was bullied and, um, you know, just me even looking back on some things that even as far as um, him uh People telling him that um, his jokes weren't funnier, that he was stupid or different things like that. I mean, that was enough, I think, to probably hurt his feelings. But I remember him always acting like, oh, it didn't hurt his feelings. You know, it's no big deal. Which, honestly, I think he was doing a lot of, you know, just suppressing it and not doing anything about it. I really think that um, he wasn't asking anybody for help. And I think it just kept getting bigger and bigger until um, he tried to look for a way to help himself and and chose the wrong exit for his issues and to to get it taken care of. Yes, there were some things like people um, were calling him gay, Mm -hmm. calling him a nerd, calling him a crack baby. Right. Um, You know, the fact that that, um, people called him names of, like, crack baby and there was something else, you know, that basically saying that they thought he was weird... um, you know, yes, kids can say that about anybody, but it, it tends, I remember when I was um, reading a lot of records and so on when I was going to be the expert in regard to the basketball diaries, I remember being struck by um, the dysfunction in his family. Now, you don't really write about anything regarding his family other than his sister having been graduated as valedictorian, but um, I don't know if that was out of that you don't know or that, that you were trying to spare, you know, not say anything uh, negative against his family? Well, honestly, I, I, I guess I don't know because from what I could see on the outside, um, as far as I knew, is that his sister was valedictorian. His uh, father was a, a lawyer. His mother was a stay-at-home mother. I even, you know, I was in band as well, and so was he. Um, we had a lot of... Um, parents that would always, you know, try to pep us up before competitions or things like that. And I remember his mother being one of those people out there. I mean, she was involved. Both of his mother and his father were both involved with, um, you know, many things that he did. So I think that, you know, just, you know, me, yes, being on the outside, um, I didn't see a family with problems. If there was problems in the family, I didn't know. And I don't think anyone else knew either. Well, um, there, I, I, one of the things, though, that you do talk about is that 
um, although he admits that he and some of his and, and four friends um, talked about this mm-hmm. for um, for like a couple of years, talked about the concept, not not this specifically coming in on December first, but um, talking about like the fantasy right. of um, of t- coming into the school with guns and taking it over. And, um, you know, obviously kids who have those kinds of fantasies are really feeling very helpless and bullied and so on mm-hmm. because their fantasy is to come in and to be the ones in control. Right. Um, but one of the things that you mentioned is about how when he finally just picked out the day, it was on Thanksgiving. It's this December 1st was the Monday before. Oh, we do need to take a break, but... <laughs> we'll come back to this. It was the Monday after Thanksgiving holiday, and that he decided on Thanksgiving, that's when he stole the guns, and that's when he picked his, made his final plans on, mm-hmm. that he was going to do it on that day. And so that, you know, certainly raises a lot of red flags. Why wasn't he, um, you know, sharing a nice Thanksgiving turkey with his family and being all lovey-dovey? Why was he at his friend's house stealing guns? Well, when we come back, you can answer that and tell, you know, what you think was going on. Um, when we come back, again, my guest uh, is Missy Jenkins. She's the author of I Choose to Be Happy, A School Shooting Survivor's Triumph Over Tragedy. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. What can you tell me about SkillsUSA? SkillsUSA teaches you employability skills. So you know how to deal with people, you have teamwork, your resume is going to look awesome. Well, it's important to know your technical skills, but not only that, to have soft skills, the skills of learning how to communicate with people. On the web at SkillsUSA.org. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer, and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy to understand tools and tips. With his weekly guest, Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, 
Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with an inspiration today. Her name is Missy Jenkins. Uh, she's the author of the new book, I Choose to Be Happy, A School Shooting Survivor's Triumph Over Tragedy. And um, as... Uh, as the show goes on, you'll hear about some of the triumphs that she has continued to have, um, from Oprah to awards to just being an inspiration to other students and trying to prevent these kinds of things from happening again. Before the break, we were talking about Michael Carneal, the, the 14-year-old uh, student who, who um, did the shooting, and I was asking about his um, or saying that I thought I remembered from my having reviewed the records in the case that he thinking that he had a very dysfunctional family, although he was very protective of that when um, when he was uh, gave his confession after the killings um, uh, the shootings he he was asked whether you know he was angry at his parents, and he said no, but um, that doesn 't really mean. You know, there's all kinds of explanations for you know that that now that he realized what a terrible thing he had done, for example, that he he realized um, what harm he had caused to his parents, and so he was trying to protect them at this point. But in general, kids who get bullied are vulnerable to bullying because of things that have gone on at home. Oftentimes, there's abuse at home, and other kids pick up on this sense of vulnerability or this fear of, of being intimidated. And also, um, when children who have come from dysfunctional homes are more vulnerable to being affected by um, violent movies or, or video games or so on, um, and to, affected in the sense of carrying out uh, copycat crimes to get revenge and indeed, you know, yes, he was wanting to get revenge on the students who, who, um, or the students in general, you know, who, who bullied him. He didn't apparently pick out the students who, um, who were the worst bulliers, you know, but he just walked into the lobby and started shooting, which is exactly what, um, happens in the movie Basketball Diaries. I mean, in that movie, you see him walking down the hallway. Uh, you see it's, it's uh, Leonardo DiCaprio walking down the hallway. Um, now, he's in a black trench coat, and uh, he takes out a gun, and he just shoots uh, randomly into a classroom. And um, I know I, I know that you wrote in the book that Michael Carneal usually wore T-shirts and jeans. Mm-hmm. What was he wearing that day? Um, you know, I'm not. Sh- I'm not for sure what he was wearing that day. Uh, I don't remember. I didn't see him. Uh, uh, I don't think he had on a black trench coat, though. But his friends wore black trench coats, right? He's, yeah, he's yeah. Some of, his, some of his friends did, and actually, though, um, a week before um, the shooting, I I 
did attend a birthday party that he was at as well, and he owned a black trench coat, though, mm. because he had it on that day, but um, mm. I don't think he wore it the day of the shooting. Now, that brings up another, um, something else that, that I wonder if you thought of. Um, I know that, that when he was in jail, he was writing letters to you, but... Um, and, and that you came to visit him, and, and I'd like you to tell us about that. But before you do, um, as I was reading the book, there were things in there that made me wonder whether he had had a crush on you from before the shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, uh, he, he put your picture and your twin sister Mandy's picture on a button that he wore, and yes, he made fun of you and said that he was doing that you know, to make fun of you because he said you were fat, but, um, but you know, that's what, <laughs> that's what guys do when they're mm-hmm. in, in school, you know, and, and they don't really know how to, or they're too embarrassed to say I like you or to ask you out, and so they do, you know, they do make fun of you in some way. Um, and this birthday party you talk about in the book that he saw you and a guy who was just a friend of yours walking up the hill and, and said, made some comments where he seemed to indicate that he thought you were going to be, you were walking up the hill to do something sexual, which wasn't true, but right. you know, that's what he was thinking. Did you ever think about that? Could, did you ever wonder before the shooting, after the shooting, whether he had had a crush on you? I did wonder, you know, because he used to always, um, whoever one of us, like if one of us uh, had a boyfriend, they were the bad twin, uh-huh. and the one who didn't have a boyfriend was the good twin. So I don't know, and, and, and it could be that he did, but he never once told me, you know, the, the only thing he did was, you know, what I shared in the book was, you know, you know, the the, the play around, and the which was him, you know, that stuff that he always did. The, the teasing. Right, the uh-huh. teasing. Well, um, yes, it's just, I mean, I'm sure it's, um, you know, I, I figured that you had thought about it at some point, and mm-hmm. I guess it kind of makes, it just adds more complications, more yeah. complicated emotions to an already very complicated situation. What, you know, in the book you talk about also, um, now, your family didn't get involved in this lawsuit against right. um, against him and his family and against the media for, you know, the, the movie makers of uh, Basketball Diaries. And you you mentioned there was also that the, the suit was against um, a video game maker and websites. And I'm try- I can't, I was trying to remember which, what was the video game that... Was it Doom or something like that? Or? I, I was wondering about that. And, yeah. it, and he talked about... Um, you mentioned something about his his, and I remember from from consulting that he played a lot of video games. And of mm-hmm. course, interestingly, that it, oh yes, and including including that Thanksgiving long weekend when he would have mm-hmm. had four days to play violent video games. Right. But he had mentioned um, a week before to some friends that something big was going to happen. What the next week did he say? Yes. And, of course, in those days, since there had only been one major school shooting before this, um, and people still didn't quite... Well, I think, and I think the reason why they didn't take it seriously is because Michael was, was never a serious person. Um, he was, you know, like I said, he always joked around and, and played around, and I think that, you know, anything that he... I mean, that was his personality, 
And a lot of the times nobody did take him seriously because that was his personality. He never was ever serious. Yes. And, of course, that's part of your mission, right, to, mm-hmm. um, to, teach, to teach students about how important it is to take these kinds of comments more seriously. Oh, yeah, definitely, because I think that's, that was the, the problem in our school. We, we didn't. We just, um, the, you know, those that were, were warned were just like, okay, you know, um, that he's just doing another one of those silly things that he does, you know, and nobody, nobody decided to take it seriously. And tell us about his writing letters to you and then your visiting him. Um, well, uh, whenever I was in uh, high school my senior year, um, he'd written some letters to me, and there was about, I can't remember exactly how many, I think I said five or six maybe, I can't remember. Yes. But um, he, uh, at the time I was in Los Angeles learning how to use a brace to walk, and um, the letters mainly um, talked about, um, you know, what he was experiencing in the jail, um, you know, just different things that he was going through. And then um, telling me over and over again that he was sorry for what he had done to me. Um, and it did get to the point where I felt like he was asking me for, for my help, he, that he was wanting me to help him get better. And at the time, I was trying to better myself. And, you know, that was just something that I felt like I couldn't do. And so I chose to um, have the letter stopped, you know, that I, I didn't want to, um, to to further go through that anymore. But um, as I got older, you know, and obviously in, in July of 07 is when I did visit him face-to-face. And at that point before, I, I kind of made the decision um, that that was something that I was willing to do. Um, I spoke to a lot of schools. I do a lot of, of speaking to schools. And um, um one of the things that I started noticing is that I was getting many questions that I could only give assumptions to, that, you know, that I assumed that he was thinking this or that, uh, you know, and I just felt like if there was any possible way that I could even help him give back to, you know, to a, a situation that he caused and maybe put some positive into it to help prevent it from happening other places, you know, he could at least allow me to, to ask those questions and to get those answers for these students so that we could help prevent it from happening anywhere else. And um, so I did visit him uh, July of 07, and he did answer every single one of my questions, which I did feel, um, you know, very, very happy that he was able to answer all those questions for me. Um, and just to kind of help help prevent something like this from happening, you know, there's in a lot of the uh, school shootings, you know, there's, not really a shooter that's left, and in this case, there is. Mm. So, you know, I just felt like, you know, it was important to get that information. And um, in a way, you know, after the entire um, visit, it did help me. You know, I, I, I always say that, that I really don't think there's ever such thing as closure, but I did feel like I got the closest that I could ever get to after I spoke with him. Yes, that must have been very difficult, and and you were pregnant at the time that you. Yes, went. I was. I was actually, um, you know, about, um, you know, eight months pregnant, possibly. I think at the time. I mean, that must have made it so much harder. It was. I was kept really contemplating in the for a little while there whether I needed to go or not. Um, I was worried, you know, for my baby. You know, would it would I be too stressed out, or would it, or would I be? 
you know, would I be hurting my baby? And then I, you know, I just, I started worrying that if I didn't go, would I miss my chance? But um, I started realizing that, you know, that this was something that I needed to do and that, you know, I didn't think it was going to cause any, you know, once I started thinking about it some more, I I started realizing that, you know, this really isn't going to cause me any stress. I think it's only going to help me in my process of healing. So, and, and and just help all of the work that I was trying to accomplish. So um, I decided to go ahead and do it. Yes, well, that was that was very brave of you. And, yes, I should, uh, to sort of fast forward in the story a bit, um, uh, Missy got met the man that became her husband in your senior year, right, of, of college. Or, wait, what year was it? I think it was my junior year. Junior year. Junior year of college. And um, and then they got married, and then they had a baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's he's two now. Now he's fifteen months. Fifteen months. Yes. Yeah. So uh, just to add more to your list of accomplishments, you know mm-hmm. that uh, things that you didn't let uh, that you didn't let the bullet on uh, December first, nineteen ninety seven, stop you from. Right. So right. stay tuned. You'll hear more about uh, about about Missy's mission <laughs> to, uh, to save other students from what happened to her. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. one 472 5787 Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer, and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy to understand tools and tips with his weekly guest jim draws from successes with professionals college high school and youth teams coaches and players learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure tension and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with championship thinking every tuesday at 4 p.m pacific time right here on america's voice voice america voiceamerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. 
If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with my guest, Missy Jenkins, the author of I Choose to Be Happy, A School Shooting Survivor's Triumph Over Tragedy. And, uh, you know, when you think about how many people um, would, being in Missy's shoes, uh, having had that happen, being the victim of a school shooting at 16, almost 16 years old, would have just given up you know, and would have said that this is just too hard. I mean, her road and her um, accomplishments, her her struggle to uh, to share, to give to the world, to make use of her experience, to give to the world in order to uh, try to prevent these kinds of things from happening, uh, is just amazing. And um, bef- could just tell us briefly what the current state of uh, legally, you know, what became of Michael Carneal and what the current state of that is. Well, he was uh, sentenced 25 years to life. Um, he did plead guilty at the time, and he said that he pled that so that we wouldn't have to go through a trial. Um, just recently, on September the 11th, he, or actually before then, he had mentioned, or he had uh, uh, wanted a, another hearing, actually, because uh, he started uh, saying that um, he was mentally ill um, at the time and that was not competent to uh, make the plea of uh, guilty that he uh, uh, wanted to be able to have a chance at a trial. Uh, the Supreme Court met on September the 11th and went over everything, but we were told that we weren't going to hear anything for about six months to a year. But just this past um, Thanksgiving break, um, Wednesday before Thanksgiving, uh, we did learn that uh, he was denied that new trial, and then it was a unanimous vote that the Supreme Court decided that he uh, would not get another trial. Um, And so that's kind of the status of everything now. Well, that must have... How did you feel when you heard that? Um, I was very happy because, um, you know, I did forgive Michael right after it happened. And I do know that, um, or I do think that whenever you forgive someone, it was to release me. It doesn't release the person, and it doesn't release them from the con- serving the conse- consequences of their actions. So, um, knowing that he was going to still um, deal with those consequences um, was very important to me because, you know, I feel like I may have to deal with the consequences of his actions for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And the girls that were killed don't get a second chance. So, you know, to me, I kind of felt that you know, he shouldn't get a second chance either and that he should have to deal with those consequences. Yes. Um, I mean, certainly there there were enough people who saw him shooting. It's not like, I mean, even if he did get a trial, right? I, I don't know what the, well, the defense would be, um, I guess, uh, insanity, but... That's that's what he, where he was trying to go, yes. But, but I think what they were looking at is that, you know, the competency of how he was then compared to now... Um, you know, 11 years later, there's no way to tell, um, you know, compare, comparing now to then. I think what they did is got new um, uh, people to evaluate him just recently, and, and his competency now has nothing to do with the competency of what he was when he was 14. Hmm. Hmm. Hmm, that's interesting. Um well, okay. Tell us about some of the things that uh, that you've been doing and and what you what your whole um, 
um, quest or, or <laughs> mission um, is now? Well, pretty much um, what I've been trying to do is uh, to do my best at, um, you know, letting people know how important it is to prevent, how to prevent school shootings. You know, when I go to schools, I, I share everything about, um, you know, what my school did wrong. Also, um, sharing the impact of what bullying does to people. Um, and then also just kind of uh, even sharing, um, you know, the fact that at 15 I thought I was invincible. And then also, you know, cherishing things, you know, before they're taking away for, taken away from you. You know, I never knew that walking would be taking, taken away from me. And, and now I realize how important it was. You don't realize something, how good it is until it's gone. And now I cherish other things like the, being able to see, um, being able to um, actually use my arms still, you know, those kind of things, that it, it could have always been much worse than what it is. And, um, you know, just also realizing my abilities and just kind of informing everybody of what people in wheelchairs have to go through because I didn't ever know anything that I that I, I, I would have to deal with, and I learned it all through um, uh, this whole ordeal. And um, I just want to share everybody, share to everybody um, the, the, the lessons that I've learned through this entire thing, I think that at the age of 15, um, I never knew that I would get my purpose in life. There's a lot of people that go through life and don't even realize the purpose in their life, and and I was very blessed to find that at 15. And you also um, work as a counselor. I do. Um, I'm a middle school, high school counselor um, at a school for kids with behavior issues. Um, That's a perfect and, spot. Yeah, and it's a, it's a challenge. You know, I've ran into a lot of kids that have, brought um, weapons to school, um, weapons like a knife or a BB gun. That's the most serious I've had. But, you know, still they've brought a weapon to school and had to deal with those kind of issues, you know, just the, the bad decision-making. And, you know, and some of the kids, you know, didn't bring it to, you know, to hurt anybody. I had one boy that just brought it because he was going to show his friends because he thought it was a cool knife or something. But, you know, then I also had one boy that actually said that he brought the not to school for protection because he was being made uh, made fun of by bullies, people treating him badly. And so, you know, hopefully, you know, we taught him that, you know, you know, using a weapon, you know, those kind of things is not going to, you know, make things better. It could possibly, you know, cause you to have, um, you know, 25 years to life like Michael does right now for, for the decision he made by bringing a gun to school. Well, I'm sure, um, you know, you're very effective. Uh, I mean, I think it's, it must be very effective for these students to see um, firsthand what an impact, you know, some of their fantasies can have, that you're a real, very real example of, of what happened in, in this kind of a circumstance, as well as um, all of the things that you can, all the counseling that you can give them. Mm-hmm. I do think my wheelchair is the best visual to show what violence can do. And I hope, and you also do talk about, um, because I know you were on, you've been on television um, being profiled by several times by Good Morning America, the Today mm-hmm. Show, Oprah, um, I'm sure many others, and uh, you've also been won awards for your work. Um, oh, my. <laughs> Already? Well, I'm glad I got that in. At least now tell people your website and where they can get the book. Sure. Um, MissyJenkins.com is where they can visit, uh, look at my event calendar, see what's going on, um, different interviews, different book signings that I'm doing. 
Um, you can get my my book at barnesandnoble.com and amazon.com. And if you just go to the missyjenkins.com, there's a, a way that you can a link to to find out how to get the book. Okay, and that's missyjenkins.com. That's M I S S Y J E N K I N S. Com. And again, the name of the book is I Choose to Be Happy, A School Shooting Survivor's Triumph Over Tragedy. And Missy, thank you so much for sharing your triumph with us. Um, oh, definitely. It's just, uh, it's just a real, um, from the heart, um, honest version of what happened to you and, and your friends and um, the tragedies that have been unfolding all over America and all over the world. And this is going to continue unless people like you... Um, and uh, and show people what what an inspiration you are and what they need to be careful of. Mm-hmm. So thank you again. Thank you all for listening. Thank You've you. been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.